Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast of Womankind Collective with me, Lou Hawkins-Thompson and me, Jinty Sheeran. So come and join us as we embark on a fun and educational journey talking to experts and advocates on subjects that are often taboo. So go and get the kettle on, settle in for a chat and hopefully a lot of laughter along the way. Our guest today is Victoria Bennett, a disabled and chronically ill poet and award-winning author. This year, she released her memoir, All My Wild Mothers, a story of motherhood, grief, and the transformation that can happen when we reconnect with the wild beneath our feet. Victoria is a firm believer in everyone's right to write their own story, and today we look forward to hearing more about hers. In the book collective, we discuss chapter nine, Song Moon, la, of our book club book, 12 Moons by Caro Giles. With this episode dropping on the weekend of our retreat, if you're listening to this, we have a lovely relaxing WI for you this week. And finally, it's Lou's turn for this week's quote of the week. Lou, we've had some nice comments. Oh, we it's have been very busy over on the very socials. Very busy on, on the socials and on the comment front. So your big bro, Neil, he's back. He messaged us saying, great episode again, guys. Can't believe what Claire went through. Thank God for that physiotherapist. I want to call him Dave. It was I'm Dave. I'm not sure. It was Dave. Yeah, it was Dave. Anyway. Ama- Good old Dave. <laughs> amazing story and amazing lady doing her best to help others. Yeah, definitely. And lovely Elena contacted us saying, morning, lovelies. It was awesome sharing my bed with both of you earlier. Oh, Very nice. We've else. been in the bath and in bed and all sorts of places. Um, she said she woke up at 5.50 and as always, check of potty has dropped and to my delight it had. Giggles with the hubster drama and tumbleweeds made me made me <laughs> LOL. <laughs> and Els also goes on to say another fantastic guest to follow on IG. And she agrees with us about not judging a book by its cover as she's had two male docs. I am comfortable going to as he had a dismissive as I had a dismissive female about the same age. That was no help at all. Mm. Our generation should be proud to have made some noise and keep making noise and be heard. Thank you, Al. Yeah, keep too, banging our drum. Right. Yes, definitely. And lovely Holly Haywood Art commented, Claire always resonates with me in terms of joint pain, loss of mobility, and feeling cold. As she says, this is your life. And Jane, Jane MHDG commented, my joint pain has eased immensely since using testosterone. Having surgical menopause 11 years ago, it took me four years to realize from my own research I was perimenopausal. Mm, Yes, common story there, isn't it, Lou? Lazy Gardener 64 told us this was one of the first symptoms I had. This is joint pain from early 40s to 56 when it's when I started HRT. It started with achy, heavy knees and spread to lower legs. I found it hard to go for walks eventually. My GP said it was arthritis. I just had to suck it up and being of a certain age as the year and as the years went on, it progressed to stiff ligaments and restless legs, plantar fasciitis and then Morton's neuroma. Yes, I, I've, mine's got a lot better, actually. That's, That's just reminded good. me it's got better with HRT. Um, Morton's neuroma, if you don't know what that is, it's a 
pain in one of the ligaments in your foot. Oh my God, it's painful. Um, She said she was referred to a foot clinic and then uh, they gave me insoles. Didn't make any difference. I started HRT shortly after and within a couple of months, all my symptoms had gone. I felt I feel let down and have wasted years struggling with something I didn't need to struggle with. Yeah, well, I'm glad you've got there now, Lazy Gardener 64. Many women like that. And yeah. Rachel, our lovely Rachel, not your usual menopause. She enjoyed this week's episode too, commenting yet another lovely podcast with Claire. She had such a tough time with her joint pain. My worst was in my fingers and I couldn't hold a pen. The pain was just like having hot Red hot electric needles pushed into my knuckles. Also had general aches and pains and a medical consultant diagnosed polymyalgia. Literally translated as many aches and pains. Yep, that'll sum it up. And Rachel adds, on the subject of vitamin D, 10 years ago, a consultant recommended a blood test and the result was insufficient to maintain health. So my GP started prescribing a daily supplement. I have 20 micrograms a day. And she also told us that the prescribed supplement is an oil-based capsule, which is more easily absorbed than a tablet. So if you can't get the capsule capsules over the counter, then make sure you take it with food containing oil. That's a really good tip. Yeah, very good tip. And lovely cat of menopause PT message saying I'm on catch up listen to your last two yesterday with Emily Wood brilliant conversation love that menopause is being thought and talked about by women in their early Mm. 40s and pegs I can't remember which of you was which but matching colors to close I'm with whichever one of you is lucky enough to find out that there aren't any broken ones that was me so me and Kat are in the same camp I don't actually match my colors of the pegs to my colors of the clothes no but you match you have I two match, pegs the i same. have two blue pegs and two yes i do no, see i don't I'm not, yeah. so me and cat are the same whatever yeah. pegs not broken anyway she said it made her laugh <laughs> as always on my dog walk <laughs> And somebody else who's been catching up is Sarah. Um, She says, I've been catching up today just to let you know that I had two huge pumpkins, Lou. One one I carved. Yeah, I know. One I carved. um, And then after Halloween, I cut all the flesh and used for soup. So she's using it. That's fine. I'm happy with that. She said she froze the rest and I used uh, some more for soup. And the other I didn't carve is in my shed, ready for me to cut up uh, when I run out of the rest um love it she said so um tonight I also added sweet potato onion garlic red pepper and carrots lots of different spices and coconut milk how lovely that sounds delish um so I'm one of the very few (laughs) for the main ingredient that Lou hates (laughs) so I'm one of the very few to use it afterwards um she says I do find it best to roast all the veg first thank you Sarah for that tip and can I just say hello to anyone who's listening in Bermuda? <laughs> We've gone up the Bermuda chart. <laughs> We've gone up the Bermuda Apple podcast chart. So thank you to our listeners over there. And hello, Bermuda. And hello, Bermuda. Oh, sounds so oh, continental. I bet now, they're not we? in the pissing rain and pissy rain and can't put their <laughs> pissing washing out with their mismatched pegs. <laughs> So how's your week been, Lou? Oh, a couple things to report. Oh, goody gumdrops. Yeah. Um, husband's not been annoying this week, so we're all right. Is that him or you, do you think? Probably you, both. You, yeah, but yeah. both. But anyway, I think it was um, Fiona from Harley Street Emporium. She shared a little something this week, and I went and had a dig around. 
So, um, did you go down some rabbit holes? Lou? I did oh, go down lovely. a very big rabbit lovely, hole. Alice. Didn't find the Mad Hatter. No, no. I think that or a tea me. party. <laughs> that would oh, be nice. I've never it? found a tea party when I've gone down there. No. Just wasted hours. <laughs> That's Just what happens. Like you're doing now. Sorry, yes. Carry on. <laughs> Crack on. So um, I want to talk about uh, the correlation of testosterone levels and stress urinary incontinence in postmenopausal women. So in the World Journal of Urology, which is journal, it's my weekly paper, weekly paper, um, there is a study aimed to, I'm going to, if I read this, it's going to get elucidate the possible relationship between circulating testosterone and the beginning and development of stress urinary incontinence or SUI in postmenopausal women. So the clinical data of female patients with SUI who underwent surgery at uh, their hospital from January 2014 to February 2023 were all healthy female volunteers um, recruited through the same period and were retrospectively analysed according to age and body mass index, the BMI. Blood samples taken, everything. So they all started at a level, basically a level playing field, these women. Mm -hmm. Um, And what they found out was that the serum testosterone levels were significantly lower in women with SUIs than in healthy control women. So further comparison of testosterone levels between postmenopausal and SUI women and healthy postmenopausal women um, revealed that testosterone levels were significantly lower in postmenopausal SUI women than in healthy postmenopausal women. Did that make sense? Not to me. I can't. <laughs> it probably did. Can I just I, say, in conclusion? Uh, yes, give me the conclusion. I might understand that. Did, did it help, basically? Did the testosterone Low help? serum testosterone levels may be a risk factor oh. of stress urinary incontinence in postmenopausal women. That that made, that sense. made sense. That made sense. I okay. Had, it's, because, it's because I was. I am not a medical professional, and I thought I it's, it's not it. you, Lou. It's not you. It's me and my processing issues. Yeah. So <laughs> and it, long words. Lo- the, so they need to do more studies. Okay. But literally, lower testosterone levels could be an indica- indicative of SUI. Wow. So that's mega that's important, huge, especially after, you know, when we're talking to Smitter later on about, about, um, you know, all this GC, uh, GM, G, G7, G7. Yeah. Don't one, bring one David Cameron in. He's already come back. <laughs> he's, <once>. he's back <laughs> from the date. <laughs> oh, we won't even go there. That's another rabbit hole. I don't want yeah. to go down. Um, Oh, that's, that's fascinating. So, but obviously, testosterone isn't widely used in in all researched, all researched mm. in the female. So, um, this could be a little breakthrough. Your little magnet for testosterone research. Yes, fantastic. Absolutely. Well done. Lou. And also, before I go and confuse anyone else, um, I I went and saw Jenny conversations with the gods oh she was she started she started series eight off for us didn't she she, if anyone hasn't listened to that oh i absolutely loved it did you what did she tell you lou i've got big change coming oh well you've been going through a big change for the last (laughs) 10 years i know one do you want another one i certainly do i'm very excited about (gasps) it so yeah she was absolutely it was brilliant and she was just lovely to talk to as well so it felt part therapy as well as having my birth chart reading. Well, what I love about Jenny is she's going through her own transition, not just in menopause, but she's finding her own sort of spirituality, yeah. isn't she? And I love that. You feel like you're 
going through this transition with her yes not just she's just not talking at you is she exactly exactly so, so it was it was very enlightening and i thoroughly enjoyed well, it. well let's wait and see you've what got this, yours coming soon i've got one you? coming up so let's see if she says there's a big change for you and not for me i know what's gonna happen <laughs> Anyway, how's your week been? Yeah, good, Lou. So, the, so last, if you're going to confuse us like I did, yeah, 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 I probably am. If you're listening to this when this comes out, we will actually be on retreat, and last Sunday um, will have been Remembrance Day. And a couple of weeks ago, I was sorting through my grandmother's and my mum's things. Lots of photos, lots of beautiful things I found. But I found a wonderful A to Z that my grandma wrote in 1914. Now, in case you're wondering, my both my mum and my grandma had children very late. That's why I've got a grandma that was born in 1891 rather than a great grandma. Um, she didn't have my my mum till she was in well in her 40s anyway would you like to hear it Lou? I certainly would well a little bit about my grandmother first because she's had a very interesting life so she began her nurse training in 1914 um, she is was Russian of German extraction um, she was born in South Africa so she's been all over the world <clears throat> excuse me and um, she spoke several languages including Russian German French and English but she was schooled in Dresden in Germany um, before the whole family then moved over to England. They had to change their name. They were um, Schumachers. They had to change, change their name to Constable, um, which was her mother's maiden name. Um, she wrote to her father, uh, who was Voldemar Hermann, my, my great grandfather, Voldemar Hermann Schumacher to ask permission to work at a field hospital as a nurse and he wrote back okay and I've got this letter Mm -hmm. and I've just got a clip from the little snippet from this letter um, in response so he wrote back to her and said you are not strong enough to bear the strain your your marvellous pluck would bear you up for a while perhaps even to the finish but after that you yourself would be a cripple for life if not worse The Germans are behaving like beasts and neither the Red Cross nor women or children are exempt from their bestial and brutal treatment. If you were caught by them, you would, in spite of all your protestations, be treated by them as a spy, bearing in mind she's got a quite strong German Russian Mm. accent um, at this point. Do you know what that means? No proper trial but merely murder by some common soldier after he has satisfied his lust. I'm sorry to put it so plainly. So it's quite interesting at the the time. So she wanted to go out there. So, but she carried on with her nursing. Um, And so nursing, I was looking at the time, it appealed to a wide spectrum of women and was one of the few careers considered respectable um, for those from the middle classes, um, thanks mainly to the work of Florence Nightingale, Mm. obviously. Um, But I found, um, she's also written a little diary, so it's quite interesting. Um, But I found this alphabet alphabet of the Middlesex Hospital, which is where she worked and did her training um, by um, Flossie B. Schumacher, which is my grandmother. A antiseptic, the famous Flavine, which makes dirty wounds all healed up and clean. B is for breakfast of brown bread and white. The latter we scour for, the former we fight. Mm -hmm. C is for chapel at the close of the day, where poor worn out houses assemble to pray. D, doctor's rounds, so dreaded by all. Tis a wonder we ever survive it at all. 
E is for eggs W. Taylor provides, in which a wee chicken so often resides. <laughs> F is for fevers, measles, diff, and the rest, now raging amongst us, a terrible pest. G for G.R., who lurks on the stairs. Night nurses, be warned, be careful, beware. H for the houses, the new and the old, where we're huddled together like sheep in a fold. I for the innocent new little pro who blushes to think what she soon will have to know. J for the jam that we should have for tea, but instead it's a substitute dripping too often we see. K for the kitchens where picking takes place. Such nasty bad habits are (laughs) quite a disgrace. L stands for lavatories cleaned in the morn till poor night pro wishes she'd never been born. M, matron's office, at nine and at two, what happens inside, I'll leave that to you. N is for night duty, we learn how to cook, to lay out dead corpses and read a good book. O, operation, the surgeon's best trick, to cut you right open and sew you up quick. P is the patient, that much envied soul, who comes in all broken and goes out all whole. Qui is for Queen's floor, where there's peace, perfect peace, where bullying's unknown and where backbiting cease. R is for our dearly much loved RMO. There is nobody like him above or below. S is for stripes and also for strings, the reward that good work and good conduct soon brings. T is for Tyler, where itches abound. On the floor, chairs, beds, lockers, these itches are found. U is for urine, just test it, who knows, perhaps some ghastly disease may disclose. V is for V-A-D, that nice useless girl. She cries and goes in a perpetual twirl. W is the wing, cancer charity show, where matrons, best nurses alone have to go. X is the symbol we value with pride, for our papers are nothing without these inside. Y is for yellow, that tint of the skin of housemen and students that wartime brings in. Z. What is Z now? I'm stumped, my dear friend. So it's lucky the alphabet's come to an end. How clever is Flossie? I know. She was very clever. There's a couple of things I don't understand. There's words in there that they use yeah. that we I've did try and look up, but I don't lost. know what they yeah. meant. And some of them she's put in um, inverted commas, so it's just maybe shortenings yeah. of things. But I found the one that I found is um, G for GR. So when she puts GR or RMO or VAD, VAD was a person, obviously, that's in somebody's mm. initials. RMO is a, royal, a resident medical officer. But GR was was like a, somebody's initials. So I think there was some, okay. some bloke lurking on the stairs. Night nurses, be warned, be careful, beware. Oh, he sounds quite sinister. He does, doesn't he? Our guest today is author and poet Victoria Bennett. Her writing spans poetry, memoir and non-fiction. She has written and talked extensively on grief, care and writing through times of change. 
Victoria is a firm believer in everyone's right to write their own story, and she has dedicated much of her working life to nurturing spaces uh, where people can do just that. In 1999, she founded the internationally celebrated Wild Woman Press, an inclusive space focusing on nature, connection and creativity. Her debut memoir, All My Wild Mothers, is an intimate story of motherhood, a handbook on survival and a testimony, testimony to radical hope. Weaving of memoir and herbal folklore, it is a tale of grief and transformation that can happen when we reconnect with the wild beneath our feet. Oh, that sounds lovely, doesn't it? And it has something to teach us about resilience, love and the power of joyful resistance. At seven months pregnant, Victoria Bennett learns that her sister has died in a canoeing accident. In that moment, her life changes. Five years later, and struggling with the demands of motherhood, grief, and a full-time care, and full-time care, Victoria and her family move to a new social housing estate in rural Cumbria. Here, in the rubble of a former industrial site, she and her young son begin to grow a wild apothecary garden. Daisy for resilience, dandelion for strength against adversity, so, so thistle to lift melancholy and borage to bring hope in dark and difficult times. Gradually, they discover that sometimes life grows, not in spite of what is broken, but because of it. She now lives in Orkney with her husband and son when not juggling writing, full-time care and genetic illness, she, she can be found where the wild weeds grow, growing her apothecary garden. So welcome, Victoria. Hello. Oh, that, what an intro. Me. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's lots to say there's because you're you. There is. There's lots of you've got so many fingers in so many pies. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, firstly, before we talk about your book, All My Wild Mothers, you've been gathering women together to tell their unique stories for years. So can you tell us a bit about Wild Women Press, please? And it, I always think it's just set up like last year. And then it's like, oh, no, it was 25 years ago. Oh, dear. <laughs> wow. Where does and it I'm go? Reminded, I'm reminded because when when uh, I set it up, I, I kind of set it up on a on an impulse, really. Um, it was one of those things that was partly a kind of I woke up in the morning and turned, it was, I turned around to my my uh, husband and said I know what I have to do you know it's one of those things fantastic <laughs> it's a bit short for saying I had a dream but you know yeah <laughs> I know what I have to do <laughs> um, and it came about because of what I was going through um, you know I'd had I'd had some difficulties with with um, depression and anxiety and also with kind of a historical sort of battling away with doctors with being labeled as anxious and hysterical and things, which I found out many, many, many years later was actually linked to a genetic illness. So, um, but I'd kind of gone through all of that and, and I was working in, um, working as a poet with uh, mental health services. And I was noticing that a lot of the people that I was working with in groups were women, were older women often, and, as they started to tell their stories, often what was coming out was a was really a story of kind of of having to damp down who they were, and having to push down and lose lose parts yeah. of themselves along the way. 
And so I thought, well, maybe what's needed is a, is a space for women to come together and be able to tell those stories and, and be celebrated for who they are. And and I was also reading um, Clarissa Pinkola Estes' Women Who Run With The Wolves at the time. And, and it just seemed to me that that might be something that was needed. So being in the very, very old days, I, I drew posters. Yeah. <laughs> the good old days. Yeah. yeah, in the, the internet. Day, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I pinned them to notice boards and, you know, literally, here we go. Um, and and the phone started ringing and people, I had women coming from, from all over Cumbria of all different ages. And, you know, what I was hearing was them saying, I saw this poster or somebody gave me this flyer and, and I just knew that I needed to call you. And one woman quite a bit later said, if I'd known I had to do writing, I wouldn't have come. (laughs) (laughs) Heaven forbid. (laughs) So that's sort of, that was the seed. And um, I I opened my door and I said, come in. And 13 women came in of all different ages. I was the youngest in the room. And I stood there and thought, oh, my goodness, how can I? I'm going to stand up and start talking about what it is to be an older woman. <laughs> I was gonna I was gonna ask the age group of the women so they so all ages but but older than obviously older than you yeah that time, original yeah. group everybody was older than me um it, it's no longer the case I've noticed which <laughs> <laughs> that happens God, Sam that it happens <laughs> <laughs> so yeah um so we met we kept we kept meetings sort of every other week and and it, that was kind of nurturing that space for them to tell a story their stories and at the end of I think it was 13 weeks I said what do you want to do with what we've written and we made a book I said they said let's let, shall we put it into a book is yes so I did what what you do and and I said right well I'll set up a press then <laughs> I'll set up a publishers why not you do yeah and Thank again goodness. it was in the days where you actually had to take things to printers um you know, have them printed and it sold out in two weeks. And we had women writing to us and saying, you know, I've I've never really bought books of poetry or things before, but I bought this and it really speaks to me and you've written something that I feel. And so we started to go out and do performances and um, events and then people were coming again. So women were coming in. And so it just sort of spread like this and this you know, there were a couple of people in the group who had previously been writers and published, but mostly not that at all. Yeah. Um, and they didn't want to go home. So I said, well, if we're going to keep going, then we're all going to have to start running this because I'm not going to just do it myself. Mm-hmm. And that's what we did. We we started just working together as a group and everybody contributed something that they did. It wasn't stay, you know, purely writing. Mm-hmm. And we started working with other people in the community as well. Um, and we did festivals. We even did Glastonbury Festival once. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> that, that carried on. And we, we brought other women um, artists and creators in as well. So we started to have, uh, we, we had salons. So I used to live in this this old Victorian converted manor house in a flat. And um, we, we used to have salons with guest artists from all over the world would come and they'd spend the weekend and everybody would be creative and do things and, and you know, talk and just basically kind of have that space yeah um and now now that's become more online um partly due to my health and and partly because it did what it needed to do 
Mm. And most of the group then moved out and changed their lives. You see, mm. they, they made other choices. And so we, we all live in different places and we're all a lot older. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, what confidence that must have given those women as well to have their, you know, their work put into print. Because it's such a personal thing when you're writing, isn't it? You're bearing a bit of your soul. I mean, you, you've bared a lot of it in, in obviously in the um, in your mm-hmm. memoir, but um, even in poetry, you bear so much. I think so. And I, I think as well, you know, it's it's empowering to be able to say, you know, this is my story and it has a right to exist. Mm-hmm. So part of that was telling each other our stories and kind of celebrating those. And, you know, one of the things that was sort of the, the, the underpinning thing was no apology um because if you start with saying oh I'm sorry this isn't very then oh. the next person feels like oh well maybe I haven't got anything to say as well and yeah. there was no apology and we celebrate we celebrate all these stories so so that's what we we've, we've done but also it's it's empowering to say I have the right to create this in the world to put this out so it's not just telling the story to each other but actually as a work of art and you know it it has changed a little bit now, but certainly then a lot of the gatekeepers were were men. Yeah. And a lot of what um, I mean, a lot of what people heard was, oh, well, people don't want to read that kind of thing. Yeah. So, well, that's not true, actually. Yeah. That's um it's it's good to read other people's truths. Yeah, it's good definitely. to read other people's lives. Definitely. It's, it's sort of, it really reminds me of the reasons we began our podcast mm. exactly the same during lockdown. And we missed, we were talking to each other on FaceTime, but we missed our friends and us. And it was the stories and that experience, the experiences that our friends go through that we could all sit and talk about and laugh at. We were really missing those. And that's kind of exactly why we sort of started what we do and, and create and listen to people's stories. I think mm-hmm. things are changing a bit, a little bit in the media, you, but you've only got to watch films and, and you know, TV to notice that um, most people are in charge of men. And, and people have, there has been that train of thought for years, hasn't there? People, people don't want to see a lot of women together, especially older women who wants to see that I, I do I do that, 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 <laughs> yeah. that narrative that narrative is definitely changing thanks to yeah. you know people like yourself mm. it's been bubbling bubbling away there for years and years and I think it's it's actually kind of you know coming coming to the fore which is fantastic we've carried on you know I, I do the uh, the wild woman web now which is like a monthly blog from different women around the world so that's kind of extended out as well um and then we've got the Wild Women Salons at the moment as well, which are online. So, again, you know, because I can't do a lot of stuff face to face anymore, it's great to be able to have this space is amazing. You know, this just wasn't there to be yeah. able to create a space where you can connect people all over the place and in all different circumstances yeah. means that there are so, so many more voices can be heard. Yeah, um, and I think it's so it's so brilliant to to have things that started in lockdown continue. Like your yeah. podcast is like you know the, a lot of things have been dropped again, but it's yeah. uh, actually we learned something really important there about connecting beyond our immediate circle. So with your memoir, all my wild mothers, and it is absolutely beautiful. We we thoroughly enjoyed reading it. Um, it's intersected with folklore, apothecary, and a lot of hope and honesty. It deals with some of the biggest ordeals in life, loss, trauma and illness. So did you find the process cathartic or was it complete unravelling? Because it is, it is 
quite emotional at times um it's a question I get asked quite often um I'm I'm curious to know whether this, I I've got a theory that it might be a gendered question because <laughs> not in this context because obviously yeah. we're all yeah we're all talking in, in the context of of being my life and being a woman and things but I do wonder whether whether men writers of memoir get asked if things are cathartic as probably, much as probably women. not no um, but that's a sort of an aside it wasn't either it was empowering like I just said about telling a story but it was also it was healing in one way it was healing because you know, writing a memoir, you know, I, I had to sit with myself a lot. <laughs> mm. Mm. Um, and a lot of that was going back and sitting in memories that were not ones I wanted to sit in necessarily, um, that apart from the ones that were lost uh, to do with people that I loved and deaths um, and illness. It was also having to go back and sit with versions of myself in the yeah. past and and that's that's where the healing came not with it being cathartic but with it being I developed a huge sense of a, a deeper not huge a deeper sense of empathy with the people in my life you know by by sitting in those memories um but also with myself so I I, I kind of got to know myself in there and forgive myself for some of the things that were less comfortable, some of the, the parts of me that I find harder to admit to or, or feel ashamed to have, um, you know, the feelings of hurt that come out as anger or, mm. or resentment or, you know, and then also things like feelings I had of shame about myself and about my body and about my life and being able to kind of return and, and see myself and sit with myself uh, gave me a much deeper sense of love for myself. Mm. I suppose in, in that way, yeah. um, healing, but the, the catharsis, I think I've always tried to, although my writing's always been rooted in my life, I've I've been quite careful to keep therapy separate mm -hmm. so so I've always had counseling where I felt that it's been needed so I've had grief counseling um, bereavement counseling and other forms of counseling I've trained as a counselor as well when I was working with people with their stories I realized that I needed to be able to hold space safely so I trained as a counselor too um, but the two are different you know creating the memoir the, the process was empowering and healing but I was conscious I was creating art as well. Yes. Um, you wrote this memoir at 51. And in a in chapter two, you write about your mother at 53. Trying to remember, I loved this chapter for, for me because I'm 54. And I just, just absolutely loved it. And your mother at 53 was trying to remember the woman she had been. And that it will resonate with so many people. Um, and your father decides to take you both on a road trip in Australia. And you write, my mother has stopped bothering to be nice. <laughs> she has started to scream fuck off a lot, <laughs> which for you at 13 must have been quite frightening but, well, yeah but something <laughs> happened inside her didn't it when she she sees an advert for the your, your father had to go off to work and do some work for a few days and your your mother sees an advert for the National Gallery of Victoria 
Can you tell us what happened? Because something seemed to sort of happen um, inside her. And, it, it, and, and do you think um, that we might generally become a bit more creative around our menopause or maybe we just have a bit more time then? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's the creeping sink foil chapter, isn't it? And yes. Bring it to mind that it's, um, yeah, my my mum, my mother was was an artist. All her, you know, that's what she was years and years before. You know, before she had children, she was she was a, an artist at Vogue. In fact, um, wow. so uh, so she did have a career um, which was put to the side uh, to have six children. Um, <laughs> of which I am the youngest, and but she she'd always expressed creativity in, in the way that we lived and, and the, the surroundings we had. So so she was always quite a creative person. But but she had been a, a mother and and a wife and, and all of that 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 in of a generational thing that brought with it anyway. Um, and she didn't resent that at all. But she hit the menopause and she became very depressed you know she struggled with depression and anxiety um she also had an underactive thyroid that went unmissed uh went missed for, for quite a while needed to be treated uh so she was really struggling with that she was struggling with depression which was part of the reason that we went to australia she didn't particularly want to be there she didn't want to be anywhere actually and i was a teenager 13 so I was hitting all of those we were hitting all the moments together <laughs> fantastic uh, yeah good timing um and she felt like her life was over but at the same time she was really I could see you know now when I look back as well I can really see that she was she was pushing against yeah. this feeling so yeah the, the, it was a bit of a shock when I heard it. my mum never sweared <laughs> she <No>. never swore. <laughs> so it was a bit of a shock where she went from kind of going oh bloody okay to, <laughs> oh, <fuck. laughs> <Mom? laughs> we were in Australia she was she was struggling with this depression and then we were there on our own and she wouldn't go out you know she'd become quite agoraphobic she wouldn't go out of the hotel uh and and then she saw this advert for the um oh national, national gallery of victoria <laughs> it lit her up because i think it reminded her of this passion that she'd had for art when she was younger and of being at art college and all of these things that kind of lit her up so we went and we, we saw these wonderful you know she told me all about all the art that was in there so it was a pop art exhibition. So she was telling me about Andy Warhol and all these things. She was telling me all this stuff and she just lit up. Aww. And I could see this person that she was. And I think it reminded her as well of who she was. And so when we came back to England, she went back to college and she went and did an art diploma. Um, and she started painting huge oil paintings of kind of, you know, Wow. slightly disturbing depressed looking women but you know <laughs> she was getting it out there yeah. Uh, yeah and it was great to see you know it was really wonderful to see her do that and I think I've seen that a lot yeah you know, I saw it a lot with with wild women um and I, I'm not sure that it's that we're more creative although I think certainly that can happen I think that there can be a kind of sudden creative um push yeah um but I think it's about possibly it's about not 
either not being able to stay stuck in a box yeah. or quiet or just not wanting to anymore yeah. Like, yeah. not giving a crap yeah <laughs> i think you're right you know what? Yeah. actually i don't really care if you don't like me i don't really care if you don't like this i really feel like doing it and i'm yeah. going to do it mm-hmm. and then there's also that there's there's a bit of extra time that's a difficult one because like me you know i had my son later because i we had difficulties with conceiving and holding pregnancies so so now I got put in the position where I had a child, a young child and an elderly parent. And I think there's a lot of women in my situation yeah. and men, of course. All. <laughs> so it's That's tough, of, isn't it? The yeah. time certainly didn't get extra. Yeah. Um, but, but the kind of, you know what, I've spent a bit too much of my life thinking, what does other people, what do other people think of me? Or is this right? Should I do this? actually I'm not going to spend I'm I'm 50 now or I'm 50 whatever I'm not going to think about that anymore because yeah. I don't have time so we love the way you've interspersed over 90 different plants throughout the chapters of this book was this always part of the plan and do you and your son do you have a favorite it wasn't always part of the plan because like I said I actually wrote the book over 10 years um, uh-huh. and that's that's that uh you know writing between the hours of of care really it took 10 years um long long brood uh, <laughs> and perimenopausal and menopausal throughout the whole thing <laughs> uh so it wasn't intended at the beginning but i was growing the garden and so as i started putting it together as a book i realized that the plants in the garden were were, were in conversation with the memoir but also was was a memoir alongside it so the garden itself held all these stories and I realized I needed that to tell its story as well so I wanted the plants to to have a story to tell and I like to think that if you took if you took the other part of the memoir out the plants would still tell you the same story yeah you know the order that they're in and the, and the, the properties that they have and the healing that they bring would still tell you the same story as the rest of it uh, and so one day it kind of just became obvious to me that they had to sit in between the chapters well not in between the chapters but be the the titles of the chapters yeah so for, for anyone that hasn't seen the book that they, they it, they're easy to find they're not sort of nestled in between the page they are you know you could use it like a reference yeah. almost oh, where's that where's daisy where's well, you know no, i sent I, I i sent daisy my daughter's called daisy my our youngest oh, did you send her i the... sent I, I screenshotted the daisy i went there you go yes exactly <laughs> so it's easy easy just to look up and look up the properties and um in it, it for me it was like a it's like a grounding throughout the book it's something that everything else kind of sprouts from if if you yeah. like it's a, it's a beautiful that, way of doing it that's what I was hoping as well that that, that that the garden the plants that were sort of the healing garden that we grew would also kind of give that space because I, I know that a lot of it you know there, there's certainly there's 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 love and there's joy and there's fun and there's delight in it but there's also there's also really hard things and that was important to me that they were told us truthfully in there but I was aware that they're there so I'm hoping that the my hope was that the plants would would be like little pressed yes <laughs> yeah, that's what it felt like like those pressed flowers Def- I used definitely. to do as a child I used to press the flowers yeah. yeah yeah that's what it reminded me of and, exactly. and what about favorites did you did you have a favorite does that change um well my son's favorite was always nettle like I said he, he, he was the first plant that he planted in the garden you know other people pull it out he insisted on planting it <laughs> brilliant 
but uh, which is brilliant because it's a, it's a fantastic plant it's brilliant for the soil it's brilliant for pollinators it's it gives you rope and it gives you food and it gives you medicine yeah. <laughs> it's just fantastic fantastic plant um and apparently helps with the you know um reactions so you can use it as an antihistamine by banging it on you but oh, I, tried I that. did not know it also that. apparently helps with joint pain if you do that but i do prefer to make it into a balm instead of that i'm maybe not hardcore enough no, <laughs> yeah so so nettle i think would be his um and i particularly like lemon balm because it's lovely oh, yes, i really i really like the smell of it i love to drink it it has so many good properties it's very soothing and i like borage that's another one of my favorite yeah. star flowers so uh, but I do like to just, you know, I've got a kind of ritual where I go out and I'll just see which plants, you know, I'm having, I, I've had to start growing a new garden here, but I'll see which plants kind of jump out at me and then I'll make a tea out of those in the morning and then I'll use that through the day and I'll go and look up, you know, I'll I'll go and I'll think about what those plants bring and why I might have chosen them and why I might need them at that time, so. Brilliant. And is that what happened with your um, other garden with with you, you know, because there were, you had different areas um, with micro gardens within it? Did so did you did you plan that or did that evolve a bit like this where you are now? Um, two, both ways, I think. My son drew fantastic pictures when he was little. So they were, you know, they were with the, the eye of a four and a half and a bit year old. <laughs> So when we started to when we said we were going to make a garden, he drew all these pictures of um what the garden would look like and what it had to have in. Um so I mean obviously I, I couldn't quite manage all of it. There couldn't no. quite be a castle and I couldn't <laughs> why not? <laughs> Dinosaur land. Well, we could have a bit of a muddy bit. Um, yeah. It's not Disney. <laughs> yeah, it's not Disney, but you know, it was it was through his eyes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah so we did we you know, he wanted to have, have frogs, so you know, we looked at what we needed to do that. And so we kind of we wanted different areas so there was a micro meadow and a bog garden and a pond and and the mini forest and so everything was all very small scale because it was just a garden in the back of a social house yeah. <laughs> yeah and you didn't have really you didn't have any experience did you no. as you say in your book I mean I love that because it gives anyone from yes. what you're saying it would frighten I'd be I'd be intimidated and think god I could never do that but you didn't have any experience no either. no I do I do tend to just stick things in and if they grow they grow but also we we could only you know we didn't have any money at all um well minus money actually yeah. uh, so everything that we were growing just had to be what was growing yeah around us and we were living pretty much in a building site because the estate hadn't been finished so it was the weeds that were growing in the building site and I knew that they would be I knew they couldn't live where they were living because people yeah. were building houses so I didn't feel like oh I can't dig those up because I'll yeah. be taking them away which is important to remember not to go dig wildflowers up yeah. anywhere but so we took all you know we took those from that building site and we planted them in and we took plants that other people were digging out of their gardens because they didn't want them and and Amazing. we gathered seeds um from our old garden that we we sowed in and we got donations from from my mother and from the wild women yeah. members and and we just grew it with what we had and we reused what we could and we you know we took pallets and bits of rubbish <laughs> and Fantastic. we made it happen and talking about your son 
I absolutely loved uh, the chapter about Flora Ann and Rosalita. Um, and in fact, that it may it really honestly brought a tear to my eye. Um, I just really felt for him. Um, but can you tell us that? Can you tell us that story? Oh, I do. I do like that Rosalita and Flora Ann are having their moment. I feel like. <laughs> So Rosalita and Flora Ann were two um, two old hens, you know, well past their prime. My son had always wanted chickens and we got an opportunity to adopt them. He was so delighted. He'd saved up. He'd had a chicken fund going for years um, and he was so excited to get them and he had a pen and everything. And unfortunately, um, very soon after they arrived, like uh, uh, a couple of hours after they arrived, we we had been reported to the housing association, and we were told to remove the chickens that they were against the regulations of no livestock. Um, and so, we, my son, tried to get them to to not do that. He he appealed to to the members of the community, and um, and we appealed to the housing association, and unfortunately, they ruled that they did have to go. Um, and it was one of those one of those moments in life that it still actually hurts of all the things yeah. it still kind of hurts it was a moment where I think we realized as adults not my son but we realized that this place that we had felt was going to be our home you know we, we weren't in a position to ever buy a house and it felt like that would be our home and we'd be able to raise him and we'd be able to live there and we'd have this community and and then we suddenly thought you know, it was a moment where we thought, well, actually, we don't, we can't live here as ourselves, you know, and there are, there are so many rules that we don't, we can't yeah. move in here at all. Um, and, you know, they were actually wrong, because we should have been allowed to keep them. Yeah. Because the, uh, the Allotments Act that came in after the war, meant that you can have chickens in any place, um, including social housing. Uh, but it also other people could have chickens the estate was was divided up between um social housing and and new build housing uh self-build yeah which is like the total aspiration isn't it you know you have plenty yeah. to actually build a house um and so my son said to me you know it why can they have a house why why can they have chickens at their house and, and it was because so i asked and it was because they owned their house and that's what he learned. And so his question was, well, do we have enough money to buy our own house? And I had to say, well, no, we don't. Mm. And and he learned in that moment that there was a different rule for, for people who had. Yeah. Money. Yeah. Yeah. And that made a that made an impact on him. Yeah. Although he he's never lost his joy and kindness and delight yeah. in the world. But it did make an impact and it made a really deep deep impact on me as well as his mother, because it was so in contradiction to how I was trying to raise him as yeah. well I don't think anybody quite realized he went he went around with letters didn't he all to everybody's houses asking them about the, if they could keep the chicken it was just so and didn't you didn't you also ask if you could keep an elephant at one point <laughs> this, is, this, is his, this is the beauty of, of of his response so after all that and the pain and having to let his chickens go and um they went to my dad actually uh initially well, that's um, important to let people know. Yes, the chickens were fine, weren't they? They went to your dad. Chickens yeah. were fine. They initially <laughs> went to my dad, and then they got rehomed with somebody who uh, who very much loved them, and they had a delightful retirement. Um, so, but 
yes. So I was having this whole conversation with the housing association and they were telling me that they couldn't have this. And I was so cross and so upset. And so my son pipes up from the background, mummy, can I have an elephant? Instead, <laughs> they're not livestock. <laughs> Yeah, that's no, not I'm livestock. Not. Yeah, <laughs> not I'm livestock. Can he have an elephant? Yeah. But no. Perfectly yeah. reasonable question. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you describe, um, Victoria, so beautifully how your son has grown up with the wild women or the wild aunties. Um, how important was it for you that he was surrounded by these women? Yeah, I think it was really important to me. I mean, I... I'd already been through pregnancy loss, um, so I'd already been through kind of the joy of pregnancy and the and the and the sadness and and of of the loss and and the difficulty in conceiving. So they've kind of been with me all the way through that. And obviously, I've I've seen their children grow up too, <laughs> and grandchildren be born. Yeah. Um, so they've been very much part of my my journey as a mother, and when he was born as well. Um, so they've been there all his life. And I think he's known me as a wild woman because when he was little, he'd be like, oh, mummy's." We, we have one weekend a year where we all meet up oh, um, yeah. and go away for the weekend. When he was when he was tiny, he had to, there was one except I could take him with me because he was still in arms and breastfeeding. So, you know, he actually went on a few, but he would he would say, oh, you know, mummy, mummy's going. Is that the wild women? Is my mummy's going to see the wild women or my mummy's a wild woman? <laughs> I love that. Wonderful. I absolutely love they, that. You know, for them, he's part of, you know, he's just pulled into that circle. But I think particularly with my eldest sister dying, you know, when I imagined myself as a mother, I imagined having that my child would have, you know, I imagined that my child when I was pregnant that was going to have all these aunties, you know, my sisters, um, and that he'd have this big family when my sister died it 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 shattered the family and although he's to you know he's very much loved and still had you know my other sisters it it was different you know so I think mm. that it was important to me as well that that he had this extended family uh of of women and you know he, he's got you know he's got other friends as well of ours but that was really really special that he's known all of these sort of wise older women mm, yeah <laughs> those matriarchs who are, not, who are not necessarily um you know they're not necessarily the usual mold yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think uh, it's, it's so it's, important it was just beautiful I just wanted to read there was a, just a lovely bit on in black current actually that really really resonated with me I mean it says there is an African proverb that says it takes a village to raise a child but it also takes a clan to raise a woman wild. I mean, that just, I was like, oh, it just sums it all up, doesn't it? Mm. I think it really I, would, does. I would definitely, you know, I, I, one of my reasons for, for calling it all my wild mothers was, was in, in gratitude to all the women that have raised me, you know, my mother, my bi, you know, biological mother, my sisters, all the wild women who've raised me as an adult woman. Um, and then just all of those other women, you know, the women writers, the women artists, and the women that have gone before as well, you know, the the the, the wise women and the witches. And, yeah. You know, just yeah. I really feel that I I'm not on my own yeah. now. Um, in recognizing that all of those women have contributed 
and raised me so yeah. to be to be you know I feel like I was still growing I'm still growing yeah, I think <laughs> we always are up. aren't we yeah. no and we're always learning aren't we and we appreciate I think you also appreciate that tribe or that clan as as you get older I don't know whether I did when I was younger so no. much yeah and I think that um you know I mean we like I said we meet once a year but we, we actually meet online again something that came out of lockdown we meet once a week online um on a Saturday afternoon to chat and whatever but that you know that there's support there there's challenge there you know I, the wild women group has been going longer than I've been married actually only a little bit but so it's mm-hmm. kind of it it's a long time you know 25 years is a long time mm-hmm. to be with the same people yeah and you really you know there's no putting it on no. <laughs> with this group <laughs> so no. there's there's great tenderness and great love but there's also some real truth telling mm. you know when you try it on yeah <laughs> and a lot of laughter um so it is more like family but it's it's a, a family of, of people that started at the same place which is we're coming into this space and we want to be ourselves and we see each other and we value each other and we value that that decision to be open and tell our stories and I think when you've got that as the starting point of yeah. a relationship then it's something very special and, and precious and I feel I feel very I feel very blessed that I've got it in my life but I also feel like if I did nothing else yeah that doing, making that space that's that's enough for me yeah, <laughs> yeah. no that is huge it comes back to the vulnerability that we always talk about mm-hmm. doesn't it you've allow yourself to be vulnerable with that in the safety of that group of women and that is huge and for some of those women they might not be able to be that vulnerable in their other lives so it gives them that complete safety doesn't it that experience mm-hmm. which is yeah fantastic and I think, you know, over the years, what's happened is that people then are that in the rest of their lives as well, because it it, it no longer has to be a space yeah. that's kept separate. You know, it just becomes who they are yeah. in the rest of the world, because I mean, we like to say that you know, you've got wild, we've got wild women in our pocket. You know, those little old, wor- those little worry dolls. that you Yeah. Used to well, we've got wild women in our pocket. So if we do <laughs> something really scary, it's all right, because we've got wild women in our pocket. <laughs> Oh, you've I got the backup you've got the girls they're with you yeah <laughs> those women. you know it's like gift magic this is what we say now we need that for we'll be doing a talk in a few weeks a uh, big talk somewhere so we we need a wild we, we need a wild woman in our pocket don't yeah, we, we certainly <laughs> <do>. <laughs> so what's what's next what's next for you what you're what are you doing at the moment uh growing older <laughs> yeah <laughs> That's all right. It's enough. <laughs> it's more I think, than enough. I think it actually is, you know, creatively it's 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 relevant as well because, you know, my son's growing older. He's 16. Wow. Early next year, which is almost unbelievable. Mm. Uh, we've got a new home. I'm growing a new garden. Um, you know, I'm, there's a lot of changes that are happening right now. And I think I'm having to, I'm having to, to really look at that and kind of go well you know this is this is interesting I'm I'm no longer a, a full-time carer in the same way as I was I do still have to care uh for people um medically and 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 things so but I'm not 
Um, I don't I don't have those titles anymore. I made a decision to move away from where I was, where I was very much a full-time carer for my my elderly father. And um, you know, I'm not I'm still a mother, but not a mother in the same way. Um, I'm still a woman, but my body is definitely not a woman in the same way. Um so it's a moment of change. It's a moment of discovery. And I think it's also I'm having to explore a lot more about the stories of my own body as I've sort of in the last couple of years as I've I've um, managed to finally get diagnosis of, of, of some things that have been going on for many years. So I'm having to kind of revisit those stories in my body and the, the, the names that my body was given and kind of retell those stories so I think that's kind of where I am and and I started swimming in the sea and it's very cold <laughs> yes yes it is it's very cold yeah you're colder up there yeah, it's very down cold. here in Devon yeah but mm. it's one of those things where I thought oh well I, you know I always said I would never do I couldn't do it couldn't do it couldn't do it yeah um, I've got a broken thermostat I couldn't do it and then I just thought I'm gonna go get that sea <laughs> Yeah, like you do. Like, like you did when you woke up 25 years ago and said, "I'm yeah, the wild yeah. women were born. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I'm not quite sure. You know, it, it's quite exciting because I don't quite know. You know, it's a new place and new new home. And and uh, I don't quite know. So, and, and it's our first, we bought a house. Like wow, that's so you did home. buy a house. Fantastic. We buy a house in the end. It was, it's our first ever house that we bought. Uh, and... Uh, uh, 52 at the time um it was like it was like being newly married or something it was really yeah. funny <laughs> was like, yeah. oh. and does your son still want chickens now you've yeah. got a house yes <laughs> <laughs> we have we have a very 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 small garden <laughs> and we're in the middle of a village so unfortunately there isn't space for chickens <laughs> but, you know we wanted to move and I think it maybe came with age of realising that, and it came with the grief, that the ideal image I had of where we would live and what it would be like and all that was, it didn't matter. What what we needed was a home and we needed it to be something that gave, that supported all of us. Um, and at 16, you know, my son didn't want to be out in the middle of nowhere either. So, um and you know we had limited resources so it had to be somewhere we could afford and I think it's just one of those sort of actually we we're our happiness we're we're our yeah, we are. we're our place of rooting and the rest of it is sort of superficial yeah <laughs> but we're very yeah. excited so actually a lot of what we're doing at the moment is trying to work out how we're going to afford to fix the roof <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're quite important aren't they in the winter <laughs> a lot of money yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, Victoria, thank you. It's, it's been oh, wonderful, isn't it? Speaking yeah. to you. Where can people find you? So you you are on, um, if anyone wants to get involved in your wild women, can people get involved? Do you take new, new, wild, new women? wild women? No. No, we don't actually. We don't take new members, but um, Wild Women Press is online. So there's a website, wildwomenpress.com. Um, and like I said, we've got the Wild Women web, which, uh, although I, I tend to kind of book up in advance who's doing it, um, it's always worth having a look at that. And the Wild Women salons um, are on every month and that's that's bringing together authors to talk so people can come and, and kind of listen in on that. Um, 
so there isn't so much a space to be involved actively in that way but it is also about growing community so on twitter we've got uh wildroom impress on twitter um and that it's great to have people talking you know responding to newsletters and and in the salons and things so you know definitely if people want to get in touch in that way and there's the book obviously for anyone that um i think the paper book is the paper book paper book paperback book is coming out the paperback soon? is out the first of february 2024 Fantastic. um so at the moment the hardback is available which i really love i, I do love beautiful. it beautiful beautiful cover how <laughs> was it it's beautiful yeah, yeah. It absolutely is. love it yeah. I just want to, i'm just stroking it now you just want to it is very it's not tactile but it looks like it could be because it's yeah. just so beautifully hand drawn yeah yeah uh, that was important as well that it felt like that so if anybody wants to see more of what i'm doing then yeah you can find me on instagram as be wild which is b-e-e-w-y-l-d or if it's easier to remember just victoriabennett.me and that's my website and you'll find that and there's also um tea recipes and things like that so if you want to go Wonderful. on there some of my uh, daily tea recipes and things oh. <laughs> oh, we'll try that won't yeah. we yeah victoria thank you very much it's been we could go on for hours yeah, um thank you for your time but... as well victoria mm. i really do appreciate it oh well thank you for having me along i've been very excited about this and i've really enjoyed it you cheered my day right up oh, <laughs> oh that's good you. that's good <laughs> see you soon bye take care bye Book Collective, so 12 moons, a year under a shared sky by Caro Giles. And we're on chapter nine, the song moon. And this is where her divorce comes through, isn't it? Yes. This, this chapter. Yeah, it How does. did you get on? Yeah, I, um, it's, it's one of those chapters that not like much happens, but it's just one of those. It's quite a big of, chapter in like the divorce and, and things are changing in her life, aren't they? Definitely, definitely. She writes about the healing properties of singing, doesn't she? She's yes. coming back to her singing and, and how it also helped helped her with connecting with other people again as the world started to open up after lockdown and she um, takes people singing, doesn't she, yeah. out, outside. Sounds and it's, amazing. It, it really does, doesn't it? Just to sort of be with, with other people. And, and then we talked about one of the other chapters chapters um with Sarah Everard and this is uh, we remember the time well we were talking about it at the time Sabina Nessa yep, that the disappeared sheep. and you know we know what happened to her now and Cara uh, writes about how ex she's exhausted by men telling them to stick to well-lit areas yeah. walking in groups uh, and and she says um and I'll just quote her here on page 186 I remember being taught self-defense as a little girl and thinking it was a bit of a joke at the time but it wasn't a joke and it's not funny and women's voices are cracking and straining because what will it take to stop the killing? When can we take a break from constant hypervigilance and victim blaming? Not yet, I'm afraid. No, that hasn't moved on at all. No. And, we, and the mermaid, she has a little, she has a bad episode, doesn't yes, she, in this she as well? And she really can't get hold of anyone and she knows by the time she does, it's, it's going to be too late. So she sits with her. And I think there was a really poignant... Um, little paragraph it just says my life is keeping her safe keeping them all safe mm. the words don't feel like advice or a solution they feel like a reminder 
as if I might have forgotten what a mother is supposed to do. Yeah, because they keep to, the, the health professionals keep, keep all they say is keep keep her safe, keep, keep her safe. safe. Keep her safe. As, as if she as a mother, her, what, what what else would you do? Exactly. That's all you are going to yeah, do, isn't yeah. it? Um, and we have another birthday, the littlest one. Yes. Um, it's her birthday, isn't it? And and Caro sort of writes, writes about the cracks appearing between her and her husband already when the littlest one were born. Yes, and she um, had a cesarean as well, didn't she? That's, the littlest one. that's right. And she says that the, the night that the littlest one was born was the only night she ever slept. <laughs> this is the, as, as the baby. And a year later, a paediatrician decided um, that it was Caro's fault. Oh, Apparently, of course, yeah. yeah. Yes. Apparently, her baby was picking up on Caro's own anxiety, causing the baby colic. Um, and she wrote on page um, 188, um, it seemed strange to me then that all of my pacing up and down the house, the endless breastfeeding, the lonely nights caring for her, they, they were what was wrong. My best was not good enough. I wondered if he had heard me tell them that the mermaid could not manage school and that I was now home educating. You know, what would he say? Exactly. Hmm. So it's your fault. Yeah. Even all, all the pacing, fault. all the sort of... Ugh, just... Yeah. And she has a night out, doesn't she, as well? She gets yes. back to London, back to her roots and smelling London and Borough Market and... So yeah, so that that was really that was really lovely. I enjoyed that bit because it was she was talking about how she came back to herself. She was Caro, yes. but you you always have this missing. Yeah, you always There's have always this a gap. There's yeah, a hole. Yes, there? as much as you love being yourself again with your friends, um, there's always that you're still mother, aren't yeah. you? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Um, yeah, and a divorce comes through as you said, Lou, and. It's funny because she learns that by email, doesn't she? Yeah, I suppose so that was, impersonalized. That was, but that was the times we were living in, yeah. isn't it? You know, I I learned by post. Did you? Yeah, I think an email, but you just you know something arrives, you open it, yeah. and you're not ready for it. It's just like oh, that that's there then. Um, and she says she's trying to feel positive about it. Um, so she keeps repeating, "I am complete. I am complete," and says she will keep saying it until it's true. Yeah. And she is, and she is enough as well. Yeah. And now, so next week we're reading chapter 10, The Blood Moon. The Blood Moon. And, and are we sort of caught up in time now? That'll be sort I of think, October, November time, I won't it? I think we it? are. Yes, yeah. I think we will be. We're moving into sort of now times. The time is now, nigh. Not yesterday. Not yesterday or tomorrow. Don't know what I'm talking about. Neither do I. <laughs> <laughs> WI gents I believe you might have one I do have one we didn't have one last week but I I've got one um we've got a couple of really busy weeks coming up oh. Lou haven't we so we are have got the retreat um oh which will be on now hope you're having a nice time if you're listening to it <laughs> um and we've also got a talk we don't going to do at the therapy expo in Birmingham I can't think about that I need to go to the toilet again yeah Lou's getting a bit well, I say Lou we're both getting a bit nervous about that but um so I was thinking about you know anxiety and worry and things like that have you ever heard of the 333 rule for anxiety Lou no no well I'm going to tell you about it so the 333 rule works by encouraging you to look around your environment and name three objects three sounds and move three body parts. The calming technique gives you something to focus on when your anxiety has been triggered. Try it now, Lou. Three. So first of all, three, name three objects. 
wreath wardrobe t-shirts okay three sounds there's not much sound in here your voice yeah the door yeah a bit of paper, <laughs> <A> bit of paper. <laughs> and move three body parts oh she's doing a little snake charmery type of thing arm, arm neck <laughs> um so it's a great tip i i think it's brilliant because it just it works basically by like we do with breath work bringing you back to the moment taking you, know you out i'm gonna be like that. a snake on that stage yeah she she looked like she's got ants in her pants <laughs> when we're up there. i'll be led off <laughs> yeah what's the matter with her i will try it though jim thank you yeah and we've got another thing so yeah oh, give, oh, give that right. a go i want everyone to give that a go um we've got a second thing now online shopping at christmas okay this will be happening now so online shopping at christmas the packaging so this is just for fun you saw me do it last week. So I'd like you, the listeners and Lou, to repurpose any packaging you get inside the boxes, not if it's plastic, okay, but any per, repur, uh, repurpose any packaging you get um, in some sort of fashion statement. So Ooh, it could be a hat. Like, like you had a hat, I you? made out, out of that shredded paper. Exactly. It was my colours, you see. I had it was to put blue, it on my head. And then she, we had to do something else and she still had bits of blue in her hair. It was everywhere by the time I'd finished. You will see that photo on Instagram next week. Um, so fashion statement with your package, packaging and take a photo and tag us in on social media, please. Oh, that sounds like yeah. lots of fun. It does, doesn't it? It certainly does. Do you? I believe it's your turn, Lou, for a cut. Tis I. Yes. What have you got for us? So I hit me, hit me, hit me up. So I've got the wonderful Maya Angelou. Oh, what's not to love? Yeah. Here we go. Hate. It has caused a lot of problems in the world, but has not solved one yet. She's right. She ain't wrong there, is she? No. no. I just thought again another apt quote for another yeah. apt week in said politics in the uk um, not bermuda no i just want to say apt because you said it a lot there it's quite a nice word isn't it apt well there we go and just remember folks we're not here next week no because we, we can't fit it in we tried to fit we in tried the diary the diaries just ain't working no no so we hope your tea's not gone cold and that you'll join us next Sunday for The Collective. If you've enjoyed our podcast, you may like to consider buying us a coffee at ko-fi.com forward slash womenkindcollective. That's K-O hyphen F-I. Here you can find updates, photos and some inclusive content we won't post anywhere else. And your donation will help to ensure that we continue to bring you great quality sound and content. We would love you to subscribe, favourite and review our podcast. It really does help us spread the word. So please head over to our Instagram page, Womenkind Collective, to leave comments or DM us with your thoughts or watch us and our guests on our Womankind Collective YouTube channel. And lastly, you'll find all the links, the recipes, the guest details and our hashtag Where's My Clinic campaign petition on the podcast show notes well done Lou and thank you to Victoria Bennett today that was just a wonderful chat with her isn't it be, I want a wild woman in my pocket yeah we've got to we've got to get we, wild we've got wild women on on, on yeah. the old insta anyway haven't we? yeah we've definitely got them everywhere um and I'm yeah I'm gonna go off to get some nettles net, nettles Lou that's a nettle tea oh it's a bit stingy, a bit stingy. <laughs> see you week after next bye bye